fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends. Welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And today we are getting ready to go back to school. We're going to ghoul the school. <laughs> okay. With two Stephen King classics, we are talking John Carpenter's 1983 Christine. And Brian De Palma's 1976 adaptation of Carrie. Yeah, that's right. We are tailgating the release of It. I am so excited for this movie, which is probably not a good thing. Every, <laughs> every time I go... It in, always lets you down. Uh, well, not always, but yeah, so there's something about just me personally when my expectations are so high that nobody can fulfill them. I honestly cannot remember the last time my expectations were high for a niche film. You know what? I know exactly what the last one was. Autopsy Jane Doe. I was dying to see that movie. Oh. We missed it at we missed it at Toronto After Dark. We missed it at Midnight Madness. And when it finally came to VOD, I just, oh, I remember that day. It was so good. I don't remember being too pumped for that movie. I remember you being obsessed about it. But I'm <laughs> I'm literally thinking it was probably The Conjuring, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, it was probably The Conjuring. It, the, one of the best teaser trailers ever made. Yeah, no, totally. And plus, we were coming off this high of discovering Insidious after we didn't really know anything about it. Oh, man. And I was just blown away by that film, and I was like, I will see anything James Wan does ever! Except Fast and the Furious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We've yet to see it. I can't, oh, I want to see the movie so bad. They've, they've no. gotten so ridiculous. <laughs> No. Well, I mean, just because you don't want to see it doesn't mean I can't watch it. Yeah, I'm just saying no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But back to school. Sorry to any of you fiends that are in school and have to hit the books this week or next week. What's the school return date? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing about becoming an adult where you are not... I know the rough area. But like an adult who's not associated with any children... The school system <laughs> is just completely off my radar. I, I don't know. I forgot. We went to the amusement park the other day, and um, I was like, oh, it's a weekend. All the kids are going to be here. And I'm like, Kim, it's August. They're going to be here All on a weekday, too. Because yeah. I just don't... It's just not in my... Yeah, I take my brother record shopping sometimes, and uh, I'll pick him up, and he's like, oh, man, the other day I was at my friend's. We were just hanging out until, like, 2 a.m. I'm like, bro, it's a school night. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm like, oh, right, right, all right. Right. But before we get into the two films we're going to talk about this week, I want to do our What's Keeping Us Creepy segment. So, John... What's keeping you creepy this week? So as this episode drops today, if you are listening to it when it comes out, is the first day of Fan Expo Canada. Got a bunch of fiends and fans descending on Toronto, thousands of costumes, just a bunch of weirdos having a great time. And we're going to be there all weekend. 
Yeah, all weekend long we're going to be there, which is super exciting. And there's tons of cool stuff that we're going to check out. Hopefully we're going to do an episode on it next week. We're definitely going to be doing some posts on our new website, which we'll talk about in a minute. But there's the Rocky Horror Picture Show cast reunion. They're doing a shadow cast and they're playing the film. The kids from It are going to be there and they're going to be doing a panel and a VR experience. Yeah, and Bruce Campbell is hosting a trivia night. This is going to be the best. It's great. And when we talk about Rocky Horror Picture Show, Tim Curry is there. Tim Curry is going to be in the same room as me. I know, right? Who double teaming Pennywise the Clown. I really hope there's a good photo op with him and the kids. And the kids from the new It? Just, oh I my just, god. Like, I, I know, I know. you know, t- Tim Curry has had some health issues, but just you know, him hanging out with the kids with just like a clown nose on, I would, <laughs> I would buy that photo. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to buy photos at a con, but I would pick that one up. Yeah, I'm super excited but as John said we are going to be there all weekend so if you are going to the con and you happen to see us it's going to be really easy to find us because John has a huge beard and I also happen to have green hair oh yeah we're also both going to wearing Nightmare on Film Street shirts that is true but we are walking billboards But say hi to us, we'll chat a little bit, and we'll give you a Nightmare on Film Street sticker because my bag is going to be full of them. Damn right. <laughs> Please don't uh, graffiti with them, though. Yeah, don't... Like, At least in the immediate vicinity. Yeah, once you're out, like, on Front Street or whatever, just put them on anything you want. No. Which would be... Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> But yeah, when you're like inside the convention center, they're going to assume it's the two idiots walking around with the Nightmare on Film Street t-shirt. Holding stickers and just throwing them. Put them wherever you please, cosplayers. (laughs) I dare you to slap a sticker on a cosplayer. No. Like on the wing of somebody. That's not even, that's not even, I mean, like, that's not funny What if he's dressed as a garbage can? If he is dressed as like or a bathroom stall, as a okay. If I see anybody dressed as either a bathroom stall or a fence that says "post no bills," like a, a downtown thing, then yes, I will put. But a if you see on. an Oscar the Grouch, it sounds like a good idea, but I don't want to ruin somebody's costume that they fine spent hours get and consent hours. first. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, if you're not in the Toronto area or you can't make it to the Fan Expo this year, follow us on Twitter. Visit us over at NOFS Podcast, where we will definitely be doing reviews, recaps, and highlights. Which I think leads Kim into what's keeping her creepy. I don't know if you've been on the internet recently. At least the spooky internet. We have a new website. We've been promoing it all month long. We've been working on it all month long. And it is finally here. The brand new and improved Nightmare on Film Street podcast.com or shorter nofspodcast.com yeah don't fuck around with the other long one just remember <laughs> nofs podcast p.s yeah. miss opportunity for a fucking soundboard with air horns wait, right wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> but we have all kinds of new stuff up there we have daily content hitting the site news reviews we have a whole host of new contributors who are helping us out and writing awesome articles for the site it's going to be amazing and we can't wait for you to check it out and you can right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course you're going to find some think pieces on why The Exorcist is the greatest show on television right now. But you'll also find fun content like five horror movies for horror movie date night. What I'm trying to say is there's something for everybody. There's something that's at least going to make you laugh and plenty of recommendations if you're just looking for something scary to watch tonight. But enough about us. We've been bragging for way too long about our fancy new website and all of its wonderful new features. Oh my. Do you want to talk about some Stephen King films? Absolutely. Welcome 
to another episode of Nightmare Theater. <laughs> I don't know why that voice just came to my head. So, Christine. Oh, that's right. We're not doing an intro. <laughs> I, was, I was like, no, no, no. The Hello Again Fiends. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot we're doing this in parts. So, Christine from 1983. There is no place you can hide, no place you can run, and nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Christine. Body by Plymouth. Soul by Satan. John Carpenter's Christine is technically the title. Oh, whatever. I, well, the title is Christine, but first of all, John Carpenter's name is all over this place. Perhaps it should be called Stephen King's Christine. Stephen, John Carpenter's Stephen, Stephen Carpenter's. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> they share a name. John Carpenter's Stephen King's Christine. <laughs> Currently sitting at a six out of, sorry, I can't remember right. A 6.6 6 or a 6, I'm not sure, okay. out of 10. <laughs> Why would you write 6.0, though? Do you do that? But look how faded that 6 is. Is that that's an old 6 si- or is oh, that a new 6? Oh, that's a six? good question. 6-ish out of 10 on IMDb, 68% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3 out of 4 Eberts. All right. So I'm going to open this out. I'm going to put it out there because I've said it before. We yep. did a top 5 Stephen King episode. Um, way back, only a couple months into this podcast, it was yeah. one of our first episodes, and we talked about some of our favorite Stephen King movies. And I think I said it then, and I'm going to say it now. I think this is my favorite Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, I really don't know what my favorite Stephen King adaptation would be, but guaranteed if I found a title, I would ask myself, do I like it more than Christine? I think, yeah, this is probably one of the best. This is such a fun movie. Whenever I watch it, I remember we never owned this film. This was one of those movies that was always at the video rental store up at my cottage. So I remember watching this every summer. We were only there two weeks a summer, and I watched movies the whole time. Because the video rental store there was the best, and I would get same titles every time. I I wore out titles because I never got anything new. I got Death Becomes Her, Stephen King's Christine, John Carpenter's Stephen King's Christine, (laughs) a Carrie was one of them so many movies so when I see films that remind me of summer as a kid this is one of them yeah man I love this movie I don't know that I ever owned it either it was always on TV just simply because of the soundtrack and the car this movie was always somewhere I've never read the book, and I don't know why. I haven't read the book either, yeah. which is crazy. Now that you say, like, why haven't we read it? I we can, need to get it. Yeah, I'll steal it from my dad for you. Don't worry. Thank you. <laughs> He's probably listening. Can we please borrow it? <laughs> <laughs> One thing I like most about this movie, I think, is that it's so cool. Okay. It's a broad term. Well... At least for me, this movie, if I was having a day of watching movies, I would watch Grease and Grease 2, and then I would want something a little grittier, and I would pull this out. Nice. This is cool and fun, and it's high school. This movie is everything a weird horror fan wants out of Grease. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Like You have this badass cherry red Plymouth and a soundtrack that just 
sounds cool. It's just like old rock and roll. It's malt shop music, right? It sounds like a good time. And you have a nerdy character who finally beats the bullies. Like, you could describe this movie as, like, you would Rudy or Hoosiers. Like, it's it's about the comeback kid finally getting his dues, except he murders everybody. And it, gets, it goes too far. And you're rooting right. for him, and you're rooting for him, and then you're not rooting for him. Yeah, he goes from having broken glasses to broken windshields. I don't know. Um, That's pretty good. <laughs> okay. That was a good tagline. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, no, great. You could great. get a job as a poster motto man. I'm gonna write greeting cards. That's my new gig. Motto man. Motto man. <laughs> I'll get you a shirt. <laughs> Just getting into the opening of the movie, we're in the assembly line in Detroit by S. <laughs> P.S. And by the way, it's <laughs> like what? By the way, totally fitting that evil's gonna come from a car plant in Detroit. But uh, you keep on knocking, but you can't call me. Is that the song that they play at the beginning? No, they play "Bad to the Bone." But well, no, but when he gets in the car, the guy who's working in the assembly line, who's just sitting in the car and just smoking his cigar. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. Bad to the bone, car built is what I wrote. My favorite part about that too is that right after it says music by John Carpenter, and like we all know what John Carpenter's <laughs> like, music's gonna sound like, right? Like dun 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 dun. A badass 80s synth. Right after it says music by John Carpenter, immediately George Thorogood, and then like <laughs> and then like another song and another song and another song. And you know, like definitely a good decision. He could have done the entire score for he the could've. movie. But you wouldn't have the same feel if it wasn't rock and roll. There's a cool juxtaposition between John Carpenter's music and the rock and roll pop of when this film is set. Because when this film turns and starts to get really dark and he's hunting people down in that car, or the car is hunting people down on its own, it's John Carpenter music and it's yeah. chase music. Oh, yeah. And it's completely different from you keep on knocking but you can't come in. Yeah. <laughs> completely Richard, different. Yeah. So... I also think it's a smart move, too, because it's paying service to Stephen King. So much of his writing centers around music, and specifically a era of rock and roll. I was saying it to you, actually. Uh, the beginning of every book that I've ever read from him has a poetic quote from a f historical figure, and then it's paired with a very simple lyric from, like, The Doors. Music is so much a part of what he writes, and you see it in everything, and it's so smart to keep that as a part of the movie. Especially when you think about this car and the era that it's from. That that music makes sense for this movie. Well, yeah, and those cars were designed for sitting in and listening to music. Yeah, like, you're not going to listen to CCR while Jack Torrance is stomping around the hotel. It's not going to make any goddamn sense. <laughs> Can you imagine if right? The Shining was just littered with, like, upbeat, fun, poppy music? That'd be so weird. Like, down, down the corner, <laughs> up here in the street, gonna murder my wife and kids. Maybe <laughs> the... his head <laughs> me. <laughs> There's no hedges in the book, though. Are, no. Yeah, well, there's the, the, the lions. lions that are yeah. essentially bushes, right? <laughs> right. Fine. <laughs> Trimming these lion manes of grass. Oh, Perfect. man. Never singing again on this podcast. I think I say that every time I sing, and then I keep singing. Whatever. All right, let's One go. of my favorite moments <laughs> of this entire show was the dad rock section in the Friday the 13th commentary. I forgot about that. Unfortunately, the, most of that commentary is just unlistenable, but I'll stand by the dad rock section being the funniest thing I've ever heard that. in my life. Dad rock. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> we're still on the first scene of this movie. Just in the assembly line, we have a bunch of beige cars and one badass devil red one. So perfect that only one of them is red because there is no explanation 
It's like she chose to be red. Well, it's there's no explanation as to why it's evil. Oh. <laughs> and and you, the first thing you think when you see that car is, why is that one red? And it just is. And the car just is evil. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no explanation. We don't, other than her being built, there's no origin story. We don't find out that she's the soul of the first guy that died in her or whatever. There's probably some kind of backstory in the book, which you can't really put in the movie. But I love that there isn't, because this isn't Christine's story. This is Arnie's story. Christine is just the vehicle for which, literally, (laughs) (laughs) the, the vehicle for which he grows as a character and not in a good way. Oh, he's so great in this movie, too. Holy shit, his, his performance. Yeah, him We're from both... scene one to that final scene, is it, he's an entirely different person. I think it's perfectly summed up in this moment right here where he's driving around with Dennis, drinking beers in like a dark night of the soul moment. You know, when someone believes in you, man, you can do anything, any fucking thing in the entire universe. And when you believe right back in that someone, then watch out, world, because nobody can stop you, then nobody, ever. And you feel this way about Lee. (laughs) What? Fuck no. Talking about Christine, man. No shitter ever came between me and Christine. Funny, I remembered that's the exact clip that we used in our top five episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a good scene, It's also my ringtone. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really interesting scene because it's so revealing and dark. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily, because we're recording this before I put the clip in the episode, I don't know if it's necessarily in the clip that you just heard, but it's definitely in that scene. So many people in this movie say, nothing's as good as Christine. Except maybe pussy. Like, so much of this movie is There is, is a like, lot about is girls like, there and is getting... No, yeah, there's nothing better than blank, dot, 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 except maybe pussy. He literally, like, the guy that they buy the car from says there's nothing as good as that of a smell of a diesel engine, except maybe pussy. Well, that's the theme of the movie, John. Yeah, I, I get that his brother is the person that used to say that, and now Arnie is saying that, Beca- so... Well, and it's literally the theme is that... Christine's a one-man woman. Mm. It's a love triangle. She doesn't want to compete with his girlfriend, and Christine is jealous. That scene where she tries to kill his girlfriend is so chilling. I love it. And it's because you don't really see anything, right? She's eating a sandwich, which, good on you for bringing your own food to the drive-in, but why'd you bring a white bread sandwich? sandwich? (laughs) Yeah. Not even a good sandwich. (laughs) But anyway, so, like, the radio comes on, it spooks her, she's choking, and then I'm assuming that the car gets hot. I don't know, but the car gets so goddamn bright. Yeah, like... You can't even see inside of it. It looks like a Salvador Dali painting at all. Well, and that's the first moment where Christine does something truly paranormal. Especially in front of Arnie. Yes. And, I mean, she's... Has she killed anybody at that point? We know that she's... We know she's a haunted car. We know that she's got these special abilities. But you can't explain the lights. Yeah. You can explain the radio being turned on. You you know what I mean? The door's the, locking. Yeah. And, <laughs> and not coming unlocked. But the, there's something so eerie about the lights being so... Yeah. Because it's really intense and intentional, and it's a threat. It's pretty great. Because I think if Christine really wanted to kill her, then she would have. Oh, she could have. And it's kind of like, don't touch my man, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Later on in that scene where he drops her off, Christine won't start back up again when he goes to go home. Because he's he's in the doghouse. Come on, baby. It's, 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 you know, you're the only girl for me. And then I I don't remember what song comes on the radio, but it's basically, it's a love song about the two of them. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so great. Because she she, forgives him. She is just this succubus on wheels. I love it. She is a succubus on wheels. 
So we kind of cut ahead with the stuff with his girlfriend. Arnie discovers Christine. She's dilapidated on some guy's property for sale sign. He makes his friend Dennis turn his car around. They go back to check out Christine. He buys it from this guy for 250 bucks, I think. Yeah. And she is not in a great state. He <laughs> takes her to a garage. Can we just pause there for a second? That old guy that he buys the car from, what was up with that breastplate he was wearing? Did you notice that? I never noticed. Okay, because like he's wearing overalls and this sort of tin breastplate. And then later on in the movie, when he's packing up his house. I think he's getting ready to move. He's wearing a suit jacket, like a blazer, and the breastplate is underneath. Hmm. It's like metal and it's got straps and highly suspicious because I'm... Maybe it was something to do with like an old, like, arrhythmia device. Like maybe he oh, had, maybe. um... Uh, what do you call it? A pacemaker? Oh. It has something to do with, like, not setting off detectors or something. That's bizarre. That's my... Non-educated guess. Fun fact about him, though, he is the actor that's in Home Alone. The the neighbor? Wait, what do they call him? I can't remember. Old Man Withers? Is it Old Man Withers? I think it's Old Man Withers. I think Withers. that's just a name that they call him. The salt turns the bodies to mummies. <laughs> mm, such a good movie. It's pretty great. So Artie buys the car. <laughs> it's, uh, sorry. It's funny that his quote from the movie is basically just like, you'd better go home. <laughs> like that's, that's the quote. Well, no, and he's in the church and stuff. Oh, and it's, that speech. I don't see my life son very lesson. much. Oh, such a sad life lesson. Uh, and, and he sneaks. Christmas. Yeah, and he sneaks visiting his niece because he wants to know her and he just watches her in the choir. And you're like, so sad. I love Home Alone. <laughs> We just want that old man to be back with his family while there's still time. Him and his son are just too hot-headed. Because <laughs> they're the same person. Ugh. So sorry, I, I, I cut you off. Arnie is bringing the car to the shop that he's going to keep it at, or garage that he's going to store it in. And that, work on it. That garage owner is my favorite person in this movie. He's so smarmy. Everything he says <laughs> is fucking gold. <laughs> Everything. Yeah, no, he is a great character. And it just goes to show you the the work that Stephen does. Stephen, Stephen, like I'm on first oh, name yeah, basis. Stephen, yeah. The work that Stephen King does to create these interesting characters. And I love that when his stuff gets converted to the screen, Green, so much of those full rich characters gets retained in an in a modern day movie without the extensive source material that Stephen King provides. A side character like that wouldn't be so interesting. Not at all. Wouldn't be explored. Wouldn't get that many lines. And he's the best comic relief in this film. Even though he's a smarmy guy, you root for him in the end. He checks out Christine one night because he thinks something shady is happening. He thinks somebody's vandalizing the car and he goes with his shotgun and he goes to defend the car. He puts himself at risk to defend Arnie's car, which is a real nice guy thing to do yeah. for somebody who who has such a hard exterior. Yeah. There's even that moment where he's trying, he's, he sees a bit of himself or something in Arnie, like actually working hard and isn't just paying to have the car there and he's not an asshole, basically. He's like, you know, I uh, could get you to do some errands for me. Maybe, you know, sweep around, put the toilet paper on the rolls or something. You know, maybe I could give you a few bucks. Or to give him parts in exchange for free. Oh, that's the idea. He was going to let him raid his junk pile. Mm -hmm. My favorite moment there, though, is when Artie's like, yeah, that's cool. I'll, uh, I'll think about it. He's like, think about it. Well, don't think <laughs> about it too long before I change my fucking mind. 
<laughs> it's at no point in any of the line delivery does that cigar leave his mouth. I know. It's, it's just stuck there. It's like those guys turn 50 and it's just implanted and it never leaves. <laughs> Can I say though, now that we're talking about the garage, an infamous scene that you would you everybody remembers from the garage is where Christine is just destroyed. The bullies have come in and smashed her to pieces. Interesting she didn't fight back. And when Arnie's there, he just stands in front of her and says, show me. And the car, oh. re- she rebuilds herself, right? That is such a dark scene. It's my favorite scene in the entire movie. But the the darkest thing about it is it is the first time that Ar- Arnie starts to see that she is this magical thing. She unbends the front radio. I don't know what they're fucking called. Yeah. Some of the metal goes straight. <laughs> and No bondo required. And it's within the first 30 seconds of him not really believing his car can do magical things to she's doing magical things before his eyes. And his first response is, show me. Oh, it's fucking great, right? It's just so dark. He's leaning right into it. Like, the abyss has sucked him in. But what I find fascinating about the scene this time around is... I never remember the score being anything but ominous and dark and dreary. Like, that full John Carpenter, nihilistic, just bong. And I happen to notice that it's this sort of sultry, femme fatale song. She's come out onto the stage in a dark, smoky bar, and she's doing a dance for him. It's weird, because I'm picturing a car right now. Yeah. (laughs) Propped up on two wheels. Like the cartoon car in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Fresh new paint. <laughs> I almost like it more. It's just just dark and ominous. But it, it adds something else to that scene. I can't believe I've never noticed it. But it just goes to show how how hypnotizing that scene is. Like That scene is everything for me of that entire movie. If that scene wasn't in it, I don't even know if I'd like it as much. So my favorite scene, mm-hmm. we actually talked about it already, the scene. Um, but what I love about it is actually completely um, has nothing to do with the story. It's right after Christine has tried to kill Lee, Arnie's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He's taking her to her door. Well, she runs to her door and he comes after her and he's trying to talk her down. And she doesn't want to go in Christine anymore. She doesn't want to she doesn't want to go in his car. Yeah. She's had enough. And they're fighting outside the front porch. And the porch light turns on. And they scatter. They scurry away. She goes inside. He leaves. And no point we we see her parents. Oh. That's something so organic to teen nature and what it was like being a teenager. Yeah. That moment just elevates the story for me because it feels really true to a teenage perspective. Okay, yeah, sure. Because the porch light going on, like, oh, her parents, and they're dating, and maybe she's not supposed to be dating. It's not addressed. It's not a thing. Yeah. But they just, they scurry. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, There's something really true to that moment. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like, that has to be an experience that Stephen King, if it's in the book, wrote about something that happened to him when he was dating a girl in high school. I don't know that I remember that at all. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the porch light. That's it. it. It was great. While we're on just small moments, there is a moment where Arnie goes to see Dennis, who I gotta say is the best friend a person could possibly have. Dennis is such a nice guy. He stands up for Arnie when he shouldn't. He goes out of his way to save this kid, and he does everything in his power to make sure people stop fucking with him. He wants he he could just as easily be the jock who plays football, who wants nothing to do with this nerdy kid, but he's he's there for him. 
at every turn. Mm-hmm. Greatest guy ever. But there was a scene where Arnie goes to see him in the hospital after he's broken everything. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're talking about the car and, you know, how Christine's maybe just, hey, you know, you maybe want to take some time away from that car. It seems like it's sucking everything out of you. And Arnie looks at him and says, have you ever, has it ever occurred to you that part of being a parent is trying to kill your kids? You're like, what the fuck are yeah, you saying? That was really weird. They weren't quite talking about his parents. Yeah, like so. the car's consuming him and stuff, and it's just so weird. And yeah. such a such a foreshadowing moment. Like things are going downhill fast and there's nothing you can do. Yeah, and when this film starts to get really dark, Christine kind of comes into her own and she begins murdering the bullies, picking them off one by one. But we don't know at first that there's nobody behind the wheel. Yeah, you assume Arnie's there when you like they're going through the gas station and the car's on fire and it's just like, whoa, how is Arnie going to survive this? This is a little wild. That is the creepiest shot when the car is driving oh, and chasing the it. bully and it is on fire. So great. So hot, in fact, that when it hits the bully and runs over him, he's engulfed in flames. And after that sequence, after the bully's murdered, Christine just pulls into the garage smoking and charred. Yeah. And that's where we find out that Arnie's not behind the wheel because it pulls in, the shop owner's there, and is The car to... is empty. Yeah. It's so dark. And still decides to sit in it for some reason. It was weird. I wouldn't sit in that car. No. That looks it would weird. be so hot. It would also Metal just... doesn't just cool down immediately. I would also just be terrified, be like, whoa, 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 nobody's driving this car. Yeah. What the fuck happened? <laughs> I wouldn't be like, fucking kids. Like, that wouldn't be my first thought <laughs> at all. Yeah. I think that scene, too, only makes the ending so much darker because... The ending, Lee and Dennis are trying to trap Christine in the garage. The garage has since been cleared out because the garage owner's dead. They think it's perfect place for the final showdown. They're going to trap Christine yep. in a caterpillar and crush her, crunch her, whatever, get yep, rid yep, of her. Yep, yep. And Christine knows what's up, and Christine is ready to take them down and mm-hmm. is trying to kill these kids. And we find out. Arnie is driving. Yeah, so the majority of that scene, we are not in the driver's seat. We do not see anything, and we assume that the car is autonomous at that point. And also, I love that the shots in that are as though the car is a person. In fact, you pointed this one out to me, too, that we're over the the bumper, like an over-shoulder shot, that's showing just kind of the hood of the car. Yeah, and we, we get do to like, see yeah. her perspective. Yeah, those kind POV of shots from the car. Yeah. It isn't until we're, like, right toward the end of that that we go into the car and see Arnie sort of just, like, lit by, by the moon, and you barely see his face. And it kind of just shows that, like, he and the car are one at this point. Like, he and Christine have become... They've, he's gone too far. There's yeah. no turning back for him. Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, well, so he's trying weird. to kill his girlfriend, so I mean, and his I, best friend. Yeah, yeah, like I think he's gone. <laughs> he is just consumed by the car. It's only Christine from now on. It's such a haunting story. I love this movie. It's like, and it's still as dark as it gets, and as twisted as it is, is it's so fucking cool and fun. Yeah, that scene where he kills, where Christine kills Moochie, where he's backed into like a loading dock that's too tight for the car to get in, but Christine's just like fuck it, slams on the gas and pushes herself into it to oh, crush him. Yeah, oh, yeah, like she's, because she knows she can fix herself, so it's like no scoff off her back, wrecking the paint and crunching inwards, and it's a cool shot because it's overhead, and you have to, you see how far she has to go to get him. Oh, man. I love movies about obsession, always, 
I think it's perfect, and it really leads well into horror. I've talked about it a few times. This movie is definitely one of them. I have a good question for you. Oh, okay. Speaking of obsession... Yes. Who do you think is more obsessed, Arnie or Christine? Hmm. I would say Arnie. For maybe two reasons. One, that... Arnie is obsessed with Christine. He's also kind of, like, under her spell in a way, so maybe it's not quite obsession, mm-hmm. which negates everything I've said. But, <laughs> but it, it's about this car, whereas Christine is just about whoever I find. Christine, yeah. it's not about Arnie. It's about whoever's driving. Christine falls in love with somebody, and it's that person. I think also Christine is just kind of a force of nature. Whereas Arnie's a person. And it's hard for me to see a force of nature as being obsessed. Yeah. It's like you she casts a net on a person for a new driver and a new owner, and whoever she catches is the one. And that's just a tool that she uses for this for this sick relationship that she's trying to have. Whereas Arnie is willing to give up absolutely everything for Christine. I agree with you. I think you made some really good points, things that I didn't even think about, because you're right. Arnie is immediately obsessed with this car. And with Christine, it's whoever her next owner will be, you would assume. But if we're talking about obsessive, I think Arnie seems more obsessive on the surface because he's personified. Yeah. But being the most obsessive, I think Christine is. Maybe because she's got, like, an actual motive. And jealousy and and rage. Arnie's kind of at the whim of Christine's... Like, he's, like, under a trance by her. And she is vindictive. And she seeks revenge. And she doesn't want competition. And she wants Arnie all to herself. That was a good question. Plus, she has all day to sit in that garage and stew and think about how much she loves him. Yeah, that's true. Like, an obsessive woman (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question so ratings probably no surprise also we pick these movies so it's not often (laughs) that it's anything less than a high number how would you rate this movie kim well i did say this is my favorite stephen king adaptation so i'm going to give it a four out of four what if you just fucking like threw i'm like one out of four yeah it's my favorite stephen king adaptation unfortunately all garbage can't help it all bad if i had to watch one of these shitty movies it's this one I also, four out of four. I'm trying to think of something about this movie I don't like, and there isn't anything. No, it's so fun. I even like John Travolta wannabe's shitty mutton chops. (laughs) He is a John Travolta wannabe. That's so funny. It's not my favorite John Carpenter movie, mainly because this has more of a Stephen King stamp. I think the score during the chase scenes and stuff, very much John Carpenter. Yeah. But this movie, I think, very much belongs to Stephen King. I was going to say, like, of his horror films, because John Carpenter has done a lot of different types of movies, this is his least John Carpenter. Um... It's very good, though. It's oh, very it's well fantastic. done. fantastic, yeah. Yeah, it's got some really great shots and some really great cuts that you would expect from John Carpenter, but it is missing. Maybe it's just because the tone of the movie is more rock and roll than anything John Carpenter typically does, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't, he's not the first name that comes to mind. I was actually surprised when I was like, oh, this is a John Carpenter film, that's right. Yeah. And also the fact that it doesn't have as much of a sci-fi bend. Like, his music doesn't quite fit in this world without it being a completely different movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Fantastic At least exclusively, movie, yeah. 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 Fantastic movie, though. Four to four from the both of us. 
That's a huge win. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Right now, we're going to move on to Brian De Palma's Carrie. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. You don't have a date to the prom next Friday. Would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie, it will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. (coughs) Carrie. (coughs) A new film by Brian De Palma. So currently sitting at a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb, a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.5 out of 4 Eberts. So Carrie, it's going to be a difficult film to talk about. Why is that? This is maybe the simplest movie that ever was. The most simple feature film. It's pretty basic, yeah. When we got to the prom scene, I was like... How far in the movie are we? I feel like we're only a half an hour in because it is so simple. Nothing really happens. They set it up and then it happens. There's no reversals. There's no mystery. There's no surprise. There's no B-plot. We know what's happening from beginning to end. We watch it happen and then it's over. (laughs) Yeah. But man, it's fucking dark. 
Yeah, it's crazy. You know what's funny is that uh, I'm pretty sure I've read in an interview that Stephen King says this is his most personal book that he's ever written. Because he's a 16-year-old girl? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, it's been a long time since I've read the novella. But it might just be that it's because it was his first book. You know what I mean? Like oh, it's, was it? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first one published. It's his most personal because it's his first and he put so much of himself into it, I guess. It was a cool story. Like, he thought it was worthless, so he threw it out. And then his wife started submitting it. She pulled it out of the garbage. And it got some traction based on her sending it out. But I hope they're still married. He owes his career to that woman. I think so. Like, Tabitha <laughs> King, I think is her name? I have no idea. And if they are, that's amazing. Because he, it seems like he had a bit of a rough patch where he started to get some notoriety and got mixed up with alcoholism and drug addiction and getting hit by a truck. <laughs> yeah, that's always a bad patch. I, yeah, I, I think I have to admit that I don't really enjoy Carrie. I love Carrie. I think it's an amazing story. I think it's an iconic tale and it is a standard. You need to see it. You need to know the story. But I don't really enjoy watching it. It's weird. It's uncomfortable from really, beginning to finish. I was really kind of hoping we were going to save this at the end with ratings because I, I don't know. Like, um, I don't like the first two acts of this movie. I hate Mom. I Piper Laurie is so watch. hard to watch. She in this movie. and she does an amazing job. At yeah, the I should say that yeah. she's doing a phenomenal job portraying this psycho character yeah. that I cannot stand. Like a truly to watch. repulsive mother. Help the Sydney woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. She no. may have been tempted by the Antichrist. She may have committed the sin of lustful thoughts. No, Mom. Oh, don't no. lie to me, Carrie. Don't you know by now I can see inside you? I can see the sin as surely as God no, can. No, we'll me. pray. No. We'll pray, no. woman. No. Pray to Jesus for our lustful sinful souls. No. God is visiting the curse. This is a so uncomfortable i we were watching this actually back in august i put a tweet out about how uncomfortable the mom made me it's probably the most popular tweet i put out this year people were like yes i totally <laughs> it's it's hard i don't i've never liked her it's always been rough but, I mean, like, that's kind of on purpose because she becomes somebody that you're happy to see fucking get stabbed in the end, right? Mm -hmm. She deserves it, in a way. But, uh, so, the mom, and literally everything else in this movie, seems needless and over the top and just too much until you get to the end of the movie. So much of this movie is just building toward the end. It is a perfect crescendo from the opening credits to the end credits that totally pays off. Even mom, like, in how she dies, in the scenes where she has decided she's going to kill Carrie, it, it all works, and it's all there, and it none of it would be as impactful if you didn't have the other, you know, 60 20 to 70... minutes to wring your neck of her. Right? At, at no point would any of it seem justified or worthwhile if you didn't have those moments where you were just cringing over watching her deliver those fucking lines and talk about the sins of woman. Yeah, and I think, too, Carrie is before our time, so we it was another one of those movies that we saw knowing the ending. But I'm pretty sure all of the marketing I've seen included the gym scenes. 
hands with the blood and the violence. I don't think that was a surprise for anybody seeing Carrie. Yeah, I think most of the posters were her accepting her prom queen award and then immediately right beside it was her drenched in blood and her eyes wide open. So... Everybody watching this film knew the final note of the film. It's not the final moments, but knew that there's a point where this film turns and everything goes dark. Yeah. So you're watching this girl be bullied and you know already she's going to get her comeuppance. But unless you're clicking fast forward on whatever you're watching it on, you have to sit there and watch this poor girl suffer being unpopular for another 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. Even just in, like, her flipping ashtrays and exploding light bulbs and slamming doors... None of that seems interesting if you don't know she's going to kill everybody at the end with her powers. But I think it's also interesting that there's this nod to us as the audience really early on that she does have powers. There isn't really a question about it. When she flips that kid off the bike that's annoying her, there's a shrill sound effect. Well, even before that with the ashtray and the... There's shrill noises. And it's to confirm Carrie's doing this. Carrie has done this. So... When she does this thing at the end, it's not, it's a surprise that this girl is this magical. It's it's a surprise that she's decided that these people aren't worth being alive anymore. Yeah. It's almost like saying you shouldn't bully people because you don't know who people are. In the same way that, you know, you would never hate anybody if you knew their story. Literally anybody. Like, somebody that has killed a ton of people. Like, when you look into their story and maybe see why they did it, you can almost say, oh, like, I, I understand what pushed them to to that point, even though they did some repulsive, inhuman acts. Yeah. Like you, you can see the timeline and how it got there. And it's the same with girls that you bully at school. Like, you never know who's going to grow up to be somebody that controls your career or is the gatekeeper between something that you want and something that you don't have. But it takes it to a complete extreme. Like, what if this girl has powers and has the capability of just ending your fucking life? And if you push her too far, she will. I love Brian De Palma. I think he's an incredible director, which is what makes watching this movie so hard for me. <laughs> uh, I, I, again, until we get to the end, it doesn't quite feel like a De Palma film. There is, like, that really long shot at the beginning in the showers that does, and the simple fact of some of the casting, you see those characters recur in movies like Blowout. But... There are, I have to admit, there are some shots I hate in this movie. Yeah. I think it's that iconic shot that you always talk about, the the dual focus thing. Yeah. Where I think it's just because cameras aren't quite up to speed yet, and there's too much out of focus at the seam that I can't deal with. But one of my favorite shots ever is Carrie's at the prom, Mom had to let her go, because Carrie's got the power and mom is chopping a carrot and we are way overhead over top of mom she hits the the butcher knife down cuts the carrot zoom in hard zoom again hard zoom again hard zoom and it's till you're tight on the carrot and then she just hits the knife right on the counter block with no carrot there and you're so tight at that point yeah such a good shot and it has nothing to do with the story but so fucking cool yeah that is a great shot, and you're right. Some of the, the dual focus shots don't really work unless there's something to frame that division. Otherwise, you have scenes where Tommy and Carrie in class, and there's like a huge 12 inch strip or beside his, hair his head. Or his hair gets so out of focus that you're, yeah. it just doesn't. Your eye, I like what I like about that shot is because your eye doesn't quite know where to look, but you back and forth pan across that seam, and yeah. you see it every time you move your eyes, which you have to do a bunch in those shots. Yeah, and like that's what's great about that technique because in real life there is more to look at than what you are just looking at right now you have stuff in your peripheral but you also have stuff behind you what to you yeah (laughs) 
in real life, it's up to you to decide what you're looking at and what dictates the story and the sounds you hear. But in a movie, it's very much, look at this, only this, you don't see anything else. But by having a split screen or split focus, you have the ability to see more than one thing that's happening. I think maybe when this movie came out, that out-of-focus strip did not bother a lot of people because it was new and it was something they were unfamiliar with. Now, we've seen so much of it and movies are crystal clear now that when we have a bit of an out-of-focus spot... How dare they? Yeah, you (laughs) son of a bitch. How dare you? (laughs) There are some good examples of that in this movie. Um, There's one or two with Mom. I think there's one with the principal uh, where you actually, yeah, you have like the frame of a window in between the two characters and it makes sense because where that's a blur, you don't notice. It's not part of the action. Yeah, one of them is when... Mum is sewing, and oh, okay. it's after she's thrown Carrie in the creepy-ass cupboard with scary Jesus. Also, I think that room was done better in Matilda. <laughs> yeah, because it had, like, all those sharps and pokies. Yep. Um, but so Carrie comes out of the closet. She kind of sneaks out, and she's in the background, but we're still watching Mom in the foreground. That is an example of the shot being done well. Yeah, and split-screen stuff that he does sort of takes over the entire prom massacre. Well, yeah, I was going to say, the the use of... It's almost not split screens. It's almost Tetris screens. Where, because it's moving around It reminds bit. me yeah. of the Brady Bunch opening. The shots are moving <laughs> around in cubes, kind of. Yeah. But... It is so cool. I have never seen it done like how it's done in the end of Carrie. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work with some of the action scenes. But I do love how we have action behind a locked door and action in front of the locked door. So we're seeing both sides of that door. I think that's perfect. I think that's great. And matching those up would have sucked. So to see it done well is is fantastic because I'm sure it was a pain in the ass. My favorite moment during the, the massacre is we're following Carrie and her eyes setting off things in the gym. Yeah. And her eyes move to shots of things exploding or falling or lighting on fire or moving on their own. And the way that all those shots are moving around literally on the screen, she still makes eye contact with where they are. So in shooting that scene with Carrie, he had to know where he was going to be putting the cut of the light exploding or the cut of whatever. It's awesome. (laughs) That's so cool. I don't even think directors now do things with that much forethought. They, oh, I'm sure some of them. But yeah, Brian De Palma's great. Like, everything he does is awesome. Except the first two-thirds. It's it's not him. It's, it's, the, sto- it's the... the story. There's The fact that like all we can really center on is the prom scene is because nothing else in the movie is really of all that much substance. Yeah, sure, like, we've got we've got Billy and Chris, you know, John Travolta, which is all anybody ever really talks about this movie. They talk about Sissy Spacek and John Travolta. John Travolta sucks in this movie. He's not bad. Oh, sure he's, he's not. He's just a... It's, Big lug-headed boyfriend. It's fun to see him at a point in his career where he was still just not even really a supporting character. Mm-hmm. But, like, he does shouldn't have his name on the cover of the movie when you buy it. It's now. Really, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. I don't understand those characters. Like, I, I get those characters in real life. I've met people like that. But I just, I don't get their relationship <laughs> as I see it on the screen. Yeah, they just fucking bicker about nothing. They are just high school drama for the sake of high school drama. Yeah, and like, that's fine. Like, I get the point. I know that she's trying to use him to get pig's blood to do like, the ultimate prank at prom and, uh, yeah. The weird thing about this movie, and I'm totally gonna blame Stephen King because he doesn't know girls as well as he thinks he does. Two really popular girls foregoed, forewent? 
for opted not to go to prom. That's the weird part, yeah. And one of them is... Just for, like, one girl was like, I don't want to do detention. I'm just not going to go to prom. The most popular girl in school. And then... Was she, wasn't she? she banned from prom? Because she decided, I'm not going to do detention. Oh, I see what you're saying. She opted. She made that choice. Yeah. So dumb. So dumb. She would not have done that. But whatever. That's fine. But she revenge but she was did, worth way exactly, more to her. Exactly, yeah. And uh, yeah, the other girl, like I, I, I get that she was trying to like let her boyfriend take she, Carrie. But there was who, no reason. Her boyfriend secretly loves Carrie. <laughs> there was. We'll talk about that. There was no reason that she couldn't go to prom, even though her boyfriend was taking Carrie. Maybe you weren't she, allowed to go to prom and stag back then, though. What? Maybe you had to. That have is a date. absurd. <laughs> I'm making a petition to the seventies. Uh, we want to retroactively let people go to prom. Yeah, with whomever and no one ever they please. But yeah, let's talk about Tommy. So Tommy takes Carrie to the prom. Yeah. He's, I can't remember her name. I don't remember her name Kind, either. popular girl's well, I don't boyfriend. Does it because she asks him to. Yeah. A kind-hearted gesture. There's nothing malicious about this attempt, even though the teacher thinks there is because they're popular. But this girl genuinely feels bad about being mean to Carrie at the beginning when Carrie gets her period and doesn't know what it is. Which we didn't even mention, which is... Yeah, everybody does that scene. I know, but it's it's the most iconic thing about this film other than her exploding the gym with pig's blood on her. Yeah. But... There's a lot of scenes at the prom before anything goes awry where Tommy genuinely becomes endeared with Carrie. Yeah. He's a really nice guy. Yeah. And I think he super secretly likes her. And it, it's, well, one, it's you're kind of dancing on this thing like you have a girlfriend and you're trying to do something nice. But then it, he starts out being a little bit cocky, but then he genuinely enjoys her company. Yeah, and he wants her to have a good time. Yeah. And then you just, knowing that things are going to go so bad, I think those scenes are almost more uncomfortable for me than when mom's a psycho crazy bitch. Yeah. But he also kind of comes to her defense in a, in a small way when the teacher sort of chastises her for being mousy about how about thinking that the poem is beautiful even though the poem is definitely stolen it's lyrics for a song but he genuinely is mad at the teacher for calling Carrie out in front of everybody and this is before his girlfriend has asked him I didn't get that from that scene. Oh, because we're watching the, the dual focus where she's staring at her desk and she's like, it was beautiful. And the teacher's... I thought he... I think he's making fun of Carrie in that No. Scene. I think he is. No, because the teacher starts to make fun of Carrie and he's like, you suck. I need to rewatch that scene. Yeah. I got from that, that scene that he was being too cool for school. But like, he says it under his breath. Like, he doesn't really want him to yeah, hear it. Yeah, but because he's saying something, I don't know. I think the teacher's not necessarily picking on Carrie, but just being, like, really flamboyant about the situation. Yeah. I think he's kind of alluding to the fact that Carrie shouldn't be complimenting this poem because he knows it's stolen. That nobody, sh like, we shouldn't be complimenting works of plagiarism. Not that Does it's... he mention that it's stolen? Because I, I think... think he alludes to the fact that it's much too good for him to have to have written. And I think he, I think there's something nasty about how he acts in that scene. Like, I think he's Tommy. I don't know because in in when I watch that scene, you're you're probably right. Maybe the teacher knows that it's too good because he says, "And from a, you're not all football, sir." But 
he seems surprised by Tommy's poem in a good way. Like he's happy oh, to see it. I got an entirely different so funny. feeling from That's that. That's so funny scene. because I remember my dad telling me that he used to pass poetry stuff in English class by writing down Pink Floyd lyrics because the teacher never listened to Pink Floyd. It was like some old stuffy guy, right? <laughs> so he would just write lyrics from Pink Floyd and the teacher would be like, this is pretty good. I mean, it needs some work. <laughs> you fucking idiot. This went platinum. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like your use of uh, the dark side of the moon. It's a good metaphor for the unknown. <laughs> Reminds me of Wizard of Oz a bit. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we should both rewatch that scene. Let us know on Twitter, guys, who's right here, because I'm sure it's me. <laughs> yeah. So just final thoughts, the shot where... I, I love that we're wrapping this up. We haven't talked about shit. Well, there isn't really... We've talked about everything, I think. We yeah. talked about bullies. We talked about mom being crazy. Yeah. We talked about mom dying. There is a great moment where they're going to to kill that pig, and there's just a mural on the slaughterhouse of pigs at a farm and a blue sky, and one of the guys like, yeah, I used to date a girl pose for this photo. <laughs> You fucking asshole. But I think this this movie exists on the shot of Sissy Spacek being covered in blood in a prom dress with the corsage walking calmly through flames and chaos around her. It's it's fantastic. That had to be the nugget of the idea and then the story was built around it because that is such a huge image. It's, it's so chill. monumental. Casting on Sissy Spacek was amazing. Ah, mm. oh, you don't agree? I don't think I'm a huge Sissy Spacek fan. You're not... Su- but... Mm, I think she plays the role really well. She lacks... There... It's... How do I say this the right way? There's no lust for Carrie. Okay. There's nothing sexual about Carrie. But yeah. we see Carrie naked a bunch. And there is a lot of sexualization throughout the rest of the movie. Exactly. And this is a coming-of-age story. She's mm-hmm. becoming a woman. Mm-hmm. But it... You don't look at Carrie like a woman interesting and i think it comes down to sissy spacek one thing i wrote down that's really kind of cool is her eyelashes are naturally really really blonde i mean very fair people you have really light eyelashes but they didn't darken them at all and there's a lot of shots on her eyes in this film and she looks almost like a sheep like a lamb because lambs have very long really light eyelashes and i don't know if this is just me but i thought that was really intentional the fact that they didn't i mean carrie the character wouldn't put makeup on because her mom wouldn't allow that kind of yeah, stuff of course. but the fact that for actresses sake they didn't even tint her eyelashes at all yeah that had to be so intentional to the character. Yeah, even Piper Laurie doesn't wear makeup in this movie. Like, I'm sure there's some. Yeah. There's obviously makeup, but she looks as though she's not. Not wearing makeup. Yeah. To how religious she is. It's nuts. Because, I mean, I'm sure she's even specific about the type of linens she wears. I think she's that religious. You know what I mean? Yeah. But... Are you ready to give ratings? Are there any other scenes that you wanted to talk about? Um, I do actually want to talk about one thing that you had pointed out um, that I don't know that I... So I I get all the credit for this, guys. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) So the movie is bookended with two very similar scenes. We start with Carrie in the shower, and she has her period, and she's covered in blood. Maybe not covered, but like she has blood blood all over. Yeah. And we end with Carrie coming home from prom and drawing a bath and washing off all the blood that was spilled on her. I think that's fucking amazing. Yeah, I don't quite know what it means, but (laughs) it's a great bookend. (laughs) I don't know what the metaphor is there. I mean, maybe it's just the irony that, that she was so alarmed with her own blood and there was nothing unnatural about it. And now she's washing other people's blood off and there's something completely unnatural about it, but she's calm. Yeah. I don't want to get too pretentious about 
the idea of womanhood in this movie. But it's fucking great. It looks awesome. And it's, uh, it's, it's so hard now that we're getting into ratings because so much of this movie would make me say this is a 2 or a 2.5. But all of it is in service of that final act. And holy shit, does that bring it all together. Yeah, I think it's just a different kind of story. Yes. Maybe that is why it was a novella and it wasn't a full novel. Because Stephen King can write some really lengthy stories. He has the ability to turn a something like It into a 54-hour audiobook. Yeah, Jesus Christ. We we traveled across the country and back and didn't finish that We drove that across the country and back and didn't finish that audiobook. But, yeah, I think it maybe it isn't quite a feature, but it... The story is so good. Yeah, it is a denouement if I have ever seen one. <laughs> like you've got stuff like The Great Gatsby where you have these characters that you watch that sort of lead toward this climactic ending that pale in comparison to movies like Carrie. They are two completely different things. I'm not trying to draw a comparison between like, the F. Scott Fitzgerald and Stephen <laughs> King here, but... I like nuggets of this movie until we get to the end, and then fuck do I love this movie. And it's not because, oh, all of a sudden there's action. It's yeah. just that there is all such... All the puzzle pieces yes. come together in a way that this is why we had to see that. Yeah, absolutely. It's what makes it a film, right? It's yeah. not just like a popcorn movie. It's something that I, I needed to watch that other hour and a half to make the last 20 minutes worthwhile and for it to have weight and impact. Mm-hmm. And for that, I'm going to give this a 3 out of 4. Because... I'm also going to give it a 3 out of 4. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, so based on math, Christine is our winner. Christine wins. A probably an unpopular opinion, which is why I am really excited and interested to hear what you guys think of both of these movies. How would you rate them both, and which one do you think is better? So, enter our poll now. We got it up on Twitter. Vote which one you liked more, at NOFS Podcast. Which is the better back-to-school horror? Both of these kind of take place at the end of school, but it is back to school season. By now, we've probably seen it, now that I think about it. Maybe not. Oh, we're talking to you from the future. Oh, shit, Or the past. (laughs) You're in the future. (laughs) And of course, if you are in the Toronto area, head over to Fan Expo Canada right now. It's going until Sunday. Say hi, get a free sticker, and... uh... Oh, you know all those other things that are going to be there, like Tim Curry... Oh, yeah, Bruce Campbell, (laughs) the entire Losers Club from 2017's It. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be great. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back at you again next Thursday, hopefully with our Fan Expo episode, if we can get our butts together and have it edited for you. Sure. Subscribe wherever you're getting this podcast so you can catch the next one in your feed. And leave a five-star review. Let us know what you think of the show. This show is supported by fiends like yourself, and if you'd like to become a monthly supporter, head over to patreon.com slash nightmareonfilmstreet to find out about all the cool swag that you can get for becoming one of our patrons. But that's it from us this week. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, 
www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.